0: that your Holy Spirit will be with us. We're not here to to present fanaticism. We're not here to try to mess up people's minds. We're here to draw closer to you. We want to be ready. We want our families to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus. We pray that you will speak through me to help this congregation to be able to be ready and closer to you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Now we're not speaking a code up there. Do you see? the? uh, Yeah. FAQ about SOP. It's not FOC about SOP. What's FAQ stand for? Frequently Asked Questions. What's SOP? Spirit of Prophecy. Ooh, we got some smart people here. Good. Good. So we're going to ask some very important questions and finally answers concerning what we call, we have in our lingo what we call Spirit of Prophecy. If someone is visiting here for the first time, you probably don't even know what the Spirit of Prophecy means. We'll get into that. Let's take a look. And ask the first question. According to the Bible, how important is prophecy? Very important. Well, let's let the Bible answer. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things and hold fast what is good. So we're not to take prophecy and hate prophecy it's there for our benefit and when we see it as a benefit we need to test it out we're going to test we'll talk about that in a minute but when we discover what prophecy what it is for us and how good it is then we are to hold fast onto what is good don't let it go keep it with you let's take a look and see what peter said first peter chapter 1 Verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation, now I've got to stop here. Peter often complained, a lot of them complained that Paul was a little hard to understand. But let's kind of look here because Peter is a little bit hard here. Of this salvation, the prophets, now he's talking about the coming of Jesus. The prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who searched diligently? The prophets, okay? They inquired. Guess who they inquired to? To God, you know. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Talking about Jesus. The grace of Christ. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified before Him the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, we call them prophets because God revealed to them a vision. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look at. Prophets are inquiring of God. They're saying, speak to me. They're praying. They're connected with God. And God begins to reveal to prophets what's going to happen way in the future, specifically what they were talking about here, was the coming, the grace of Jesus Christ. The coming of Jesus. And... They wrote those things down, not just for themselves. Guess who they wrote them down for? For us. So that we might see and learn from this experience. So the prophets who receive from God has a very important message that is for all of us. Does that make sense? Let's ask another question. Will the gift of prophecy be with the church until Christ returns. We talk about the soon second coming of Jesus. The world knows that something is going to happen. Will the gift of prophecy be with the church until Christ comes? Let's take a look for a moment at the prophet Joel. Joel is one of the minor prophets, and Joel is revealing to us what will take place just before the second coming of Jesus. Take a look what he says in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. God's going to pour out His Spirit. Here's what will happen. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Some of you do that in church. Your young men shall see visions and also my servants and my what? Who are made servants? Women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, the days before Jesus comes. Now let's take a look to see what the Apostle Paul has to share with us about prophets and prophecy. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. By the way, were there ever any women prophets in the Bible? Sure. From the Old Testament, clear right on through the New Testament, there have been women who have been prophets of God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second is what? Prophets. Now, notice who is appointing these things. They don't appoint themselves. God sets them up and leads them. They have a purpose. Like Dr. Gary said, you know, he had a purpose. God had before him, and it wasn't his time to die. He had to fulfill his purpose. And the same thing is true within the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties, of tongues. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. So that you come short in no gift, that's those gifts that they're talking about for the church, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When will we see the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ? We're talking about the second coming. So the prophet's job is is to be able to help us. We, we saw in Joel that there will be prophets at the end of time. The job of the prophet is to be able to help prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. That's what we want, isn't it? Okay, let's ask another question. Is there a pattern that we can find in the Bible by which God has operated through history regarding prophets? Sometimes, you know, God does something and he, He's the same yesterday, today, and always. And, and there's patterns that you can see that have taken place in the past. They're taking place now in the present and taking place in the future. And God reveals things in those patterns. So let's see what the prophet Amos says. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Another one of those minor prophets. Amos 3 verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His secret to His servants, whom? The prophets. Okay, so God is going to, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to come as a total surprise to us because He's going to send a prophet that's going to come and take place to help reveal to us what's going to happen. So if there's something major that's going to take place in this world, something that is going to affect God's people, God's going to send a prophet in that time to be able to prepare them for that. Let's see if that's true. Look at this chart. You have it on your sheet there. But look at this chart. There's the event on the one side and then the prophets on the other side. There was the flood. Affected people, right? Okay, who was it that God sent to be able to tell and warn about the flood that was coming? Noah. Now, they would never seen anything about rain or anything else like that. There was no need to build an ark. Noah preached to them for how long? 120 years that there's a flood that's going to come. God is preparing them, giving him 120 years for them to be able to, to come in and to be saved in the ark. He made a way for them to be saved, but it will be their choice if they listen to what the prophet Noah had to say or whether he didn't. The call of Israel. Abraham, God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of many children. When did he start having children? Way when he was old, way past the time that you would ever think of having children. And yet the promise was there. So there was Abraham and this call of Israel, the starting of God's people that was to take place. Do I believe what God said to Abraham or do I not? Exodus. That's when they were leaving Egypt to be able to go to the promised land. Who did God raise up? Moses. Seems like there's a pattern here. How about when the people became, they were looking at God for leadership, and then they began to look around and they says, you know, everybody else has got kings. Why don't we have kings? Now, it wasn't totally in God's plan, but it would affect everyone. So what did God do? He set up the prophet Samuel to go, and who did he anoint to be the king? Saul, okay? But they knew, God knew that later on that Saul was going to kind of mess up, so there was another king that Samuel anointed. David, okay? So we see this establishment of kings affects everybody in the way that they're living, and Samuel was the prophet. Babylon, they were taken into captivity into Babylon. And God set up prophets like Daniel and some of the other prophets that were taken into captivity. It affected all of God's people, but he wanted them to realize that God was with them. The first advent of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. Guess who was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus? John the Baptist. He was to go out. He was born before Jesus was, and he was to go out and prepare the way. What's going on, guys? Okay. Then after the death of Jesus and after he was taken up into heaven, they had to establish the church. And so he needed the leaders within the church. And he established people like Paul and Peter and all these others that were there. And they did some prophesying. Peter did some prophesying. Paul did some prophesying. So we begin to see that in every place, in all the events that would affect God's people the most, God sent one or more prophets to prepare the way for that event. That leads us to the next question. What is the next and great and final event? For that answer, we have to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The first and the last. Who's speaking? Christ is speaking. Jesus says the next great event that's going to take place, even prophesied back in Daniel's day, the next great event that's going to take place is the second coming of Jesus. Doesn't it stand to reason that if we looked in the past and we saw every great event that was going to take place that would affect God's people the most, and God brought up a prophet... Wouldn't you think that the second coming of Jesus would affect God's people the most? I mean, it's just that's, that's just common sense that would say that. And because of what has happened in the past, God would say, okay, these people, if they want to be ready for Jesus to come, if we want to prepare the world for the soon coming of Jesus so that He doesn't come to them like a thief in the night, that He is going to come to them and to be ready and to have the gift of eternal life, it would just make sense that in that pattern that God would prevent would would have a prophet come to be able to proclaim the message for this great event. Otherwise, the pattern would be broken. What does the book of Revelation have to say about end time prophecy? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. The dragon, who's the dragon? Satan, was enraged with the woman. The woman is who? God's church. And he, Satan, went to make war with the rest of her, the church's offspring. That's those that that are living at the end of time. Now, how do I know who they are? Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We've got to ask the question, what is this testimony? Revelation tells us, Revelation 19, verse 10. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. The book of Revelation says that there will be the spirit of prophecy, that God's last day people will keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, which means that they will believe in prophecy, will uplift prophecy, will uplift the, the gift of prophets in the area, will recognize that before Jesus comes, He will raise up a prophet. Is there a person recognized by this church who fulfills the function of a true prophet. In our denomination, we have what's called the 28 fundamental beliefs of the church. These were put together by scholarly men and women who went back, studied scriptures, who went back and studied all kinds of things, studied people. They still look at people. And I think it's very appropriate to be able to look at the 17th fundamental belief of the Adventist Church. Here's what it says. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. We saw that in the Bible, didn't we? This gift is an identifying mark of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Why? Because we believe in prophecy and we keep the commandments of God. And was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. As the Lord's messenger, her writings are a continuing and authoritative source of truth which provides for the church comfort, guidance, instructions, and corrections. Now, we could spend hours debating whether Ellen White was a last-day prophet or not. But with this fundamental belief, and again, countless scholars have searched her life, have read her, her materials, have talked to eyewitnesses who, who saw her and who were around her. We even had a man here. Uh, he's died since then. But Lawrence Ferguson remembers very briefly when he was a young child of seeing and hearing Ellen White. People like that read all of her writings, compared them with the Bible, and have concluded that she indeed fits the role as a prophetess. So we have to ask the question, does Ellen White truly pass the test of a prophet? Well, what do we mean by a test of a prophet? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John says, Beloved, do not believe in every spirit. You know what Jesus said in the last days would happen? In the last days there would be false prophets and false teachers. So he doesn't want us to believe everything that everybody says and comes in. But test the spirits, whether they are God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. What are we supposed to do when somebody claims to be a prophet? We're to test them, put them to the test. Now let me tell you, the devil knows prophecy is important to God's last day church. So he's going to attempt to do two things. First of all, he's going to send out many false prophets and false teachers in order to confuse the people in thinking that they're following what God says, when in reality they're not. The second thing is going to cause cause others to disbelieve in the last day prophets. We don't have the time to go through the complete test. That's what I had handed out to you. That's the test that you'll find in the Bible. You need to take it and look at it. If anyone says that there are prophets, you need to test them according to the Bible. Nothing else but according to the Bible. But let's do this. Let's compare the similarities between the ministries of John the Baptist and Ellen White. Now, why do I pick John the Baptist? I'm going to let Jesus answer that. He said in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater what prophet than John the Baptist. So if we're going to compare, let's compare them with the greatest. Alright? We might as well pick the one that Jesus says is the greatest. And according to, to Stephen Bohr, who's the pastor of the Fresno Church, The ministries of John the Baptist and Ellen White have several things in common. Neither one of them are contributors to the canon of scriptures. They have not written a book and said, This is to be part of the Bible. Now, there are some false prophets that have come up in the world who have written their book, and then they say, If it doesn't go, if the Bible says one thing and their book says another, then don't believe the Bible, believe what they say. Well, neither John the Baptist nor Ellen White has ever done that. They were both rejected by current-day leadership. Many of them rejected John the Baptist, but he carried through anyway. Many of them did not believe in Ellen White, and she carried through anyway, because they came to share the message that God has for them, not worrying about what people say. Number three, they both referred to themselves as a messenger and not a prophet. They never claimed to be a prophet, although Jesus said that John the Baptist was a prophet. Ellen White never claimed to be a prophetess, although she said that she was a messenger and that God spoke to her and she wrote down what God said. Number four, they are both called the lesser light that points to the greater light. Who's the greater light? That's Christ. And when you look at their writings and read them, if you listened about John the Baptist, John the Baptist says, Behold, i seeing Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. He was not there to shine before them. In fact, he says he doesn't even, he isn't worthy enough to stoop down and to, to tie the shoes of Jesus or to tie the sandals of Jesus. So they both call themselves lesser lights and they point to the greater light. Number five. Their teachings are not supplemental but complementary to the Bible as neither one carved new Bible doctrines. Neither John the Baptist or Ellen White says here's a new doctrine. They've never said that. They have all been a kind of a commentary on the doctrines that we already have within the Bible. If we would follow the Bible in the first place, we wouldn't need these things and we wouldn't need these prophets. But just like in the days of Jesus, they weren't looking for Jesus to come like he was coming, but John the Baptist says here he is making the way in the same way with the end of time. Number six with Ellen White. Number six, neither was infallible. In fact, they both grew in their understanding of the Bible. Do you remember the messengers that John the Baptist sent to Jesus when John the Baptist was in jail? He said, now say to Jesus, ask Jesus, are you really the one or do we, should we be looking for someone else? Seems strange for a prophet to ask some type of a question, but there were some doubts in his mind. I mean, John the Baptist was human just like you and I. Do you know that Ellen White, she made mistakes as well too? When she first came in and, and, and began to have visions, do you think that she kept the Sabbath then? She didn't keep the Sabbath. It wasn't until later on. But she began to learn just like everyone else. They are both precursors to Christ's coming. And that's important. But how do I know? How do I really know that she was a prophetess? Let's look at reasoning again. Remember, Satan is going to send out false prophets and false teachers into the world. Would it make sense that a devil who is angry at God's church and wants to attack God's church, would it make sense that he would then raise up Ellen White as a false prophet and write a book on the life of Christ like in The Desire of Ages? Would it make sense that... Satan would say, I don't want people to worship Christ and yet have someone write a book on the steps how to draw closer to Christ and have a relationship with him in the little book called Steps to Christ. Would that make sense? Would it make sense if the devil is going to raise up someone to write a book like the great controversy that reveals the plans the secret weapons of Satan that he's going to use against God and his people and put it in the form of history so that historians, whether they're church members or not, will sit there and read that book and say, you know, that is an excellent book on history of the church. And yet it reveals the secret plans of the devil of what he's going to do before Jesus comes to try to mess the church up. Would it make sense to go through all that if she was of the devil. But brothers and sisters, a lot of people who are complaining about her work don't read her books. They don't put her to the test that you have there that comes from the Bible. How can you say someone is false when you don't read it? I have often heard about other, other denominations who had prophets, and you know what I do? I go and I look at their readings. I don't want them to come back and to say, well, you never read our readings. I have sat up with elders sometimes all night long reading garbage material, comparing it to the test of the Bible, and concluding this is not a true prophet of God. And then I can preach about it. Is the inspiration of Ellen White under attack within the denomination today? Now, quit answering the questions. Let's see what she said way back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. He, that Satan, seeks by all the means in his power to shake the confidence of God's people in the voice of warning and reproof. She's talking about her writings, the spirit what we call the spirit of prophecy, through which God designs to purify the church and prosper his cause. Well, what does Ellen White say would be the very last deception of Satan? That would be a good question. Selected Messages, Volume Two, Page Seventy Eight. The very last deception of Satan will be to make of non-effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. And she quotes Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen, where there is no vision, the people perish. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways. And through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony. Ellen White often called her writings given to her by God as the true or straight testimony. So, what's Satan going to attack? Her writings. He wants to shake our confidence in her writings and her testimonies. Is Satan's last deception working? Look at what Mrs. White said will happen within the church. Testimonies for the church, volume 5, pages 719 and 720. The rebuke of God is upon us. His blessings have been withdrawn because the testimonies he has given have not been heeded. The means that God has devised to awaken the church to a sense of their spiritual destruction have not been regarded. The voice of the true witness has been heard in reproof but has not been obeyed. Many today, including pastors, are not reading or studying the very message that God has given to us that would help us become better Christians and witnesses to the world. We are losing out on God's blessings by doing that. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 217. Doubt and even disbelief in the testimonies of the Spirit of God is leavening our churches everywhere. What does leavening mean? In the Bible, leavening was a symbol for sin. Okay, Satan would have it thus. The testimonies are unread and unappreciated. Now, this prophecy alone is being fulfilled in many of our churches today because many of our churches were not allowing anything to take place in Sabbath school or from the pulpit of being able to share in the testimonies. Selected Messages, Volume 3, page 84. One thing is certain. Those Seventh-day Adventists Whoa who take their stand under Satan's banner, will first give up their faith in the warnings and reproofs contained in the testimonies of God's Spirit. There you have it. When we as individuals give up on the messages of Christ is trying to give through His prophetess, to help a people to be ready for the soon coming of Jesus, we're standing under the banner of Satan himself. What will be the main cause of the shaking in the Adventist church? Testimonies, volume 1, page 181. I asked the meaning of the shaking. I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony. They will rise up against it, And they will cause a shaking among God's people. Do you remember what the straight testimony was? It's her writings. It's the writings that God has given to Ellen White to be preached and written down. People will rise up against the testimonies as well as those who believe in the spirit of prophecy. They'll rise up against them. Well, that really doesn't mean anything if I reject the the prophecy does it? I mean, what if I just kept it to myself and I didn't stand up and boldly say anything, you know? I just, just don't do any reading or... Is that okay? Testimonies, Volume 5, page 674. If you lose confidence in the testimonies, you will drift away from Bible truth. That opens the door for Satan to dazzle you with Bible error. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 66. If you seek to turn aside the counsel of God to suit yourself, if you lessen the confidence of God's people in the testimonies he has sent them, you are rebelling against God as certainly as were Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Review and Herald. May the 6th, 1862. There is no Bible sanctification for those who cast a part of the truth behind them. And in this statement in Volume 5 of Testimonies, page 687 and 688. If those to whom these solemn warnings are addressed say, it is only Sister White's individual opinion, I shall still follow my own judgment, and they continue to do the very things they were warned not to do, They show that they despise the counsel of God, and the result is just what the Spirit of God has shown me it would be, injury to the cause of God and ruin to themselves. Folks, those are now my words. I'm sharing this with you because I don't want to be guilty of not bringing to you the truth. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed to admit that I believe in the testimonies of Ellen White. What benefit will I receive if I study the testimonies of God? 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. Hear me O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. I want to prosper, don't you? When we experience the Spirit of God through Ellen White's writings, just as with Scripture, we cannot doubt the source of her power. When we compare her life with the life, with the the, uh, test that you have in your hands, we've got to come to a choice to be able to say, Is this really from God or is it not? We have to proclaim the truth. We have to seek the power of God that is available to us. I think it's time to lift up the precious message of our Savior given to the last day church, don't you? If you're willing to make such a commitment, I want you to stand and sing with me the closing hymn, hymn number 371, Lift Him Up. 371.
1: that bids you let the dying look and live to all weary thirsting sinners living waters will he give and the once so meek and lowly yet the prince of heaven was he and the blind who grope in darkness the blood of Christ shall see. Lift him up, his risen Savior, high amid the waiting throng. Lift him up, tis he that speaks. Lift Him up, His precious Savior. Let the multitude behold. They with willing heart shall seek Him. He will draw them to His fold. They shall gather from the wayside. hastening on with joyous feet. They shall bear the cross of Jesus And shall find salvation sweet Lift him up, the risen Savior High amid the waiting throng Lift him up, to he that speaketh Now he bids Lift him up in all his glory. Tis the Son of God on high. Lift him up, his love shall draw them. He the careless shall draw them high. Let them hear again the story. Of the cross, the death of shame, and from tongue to tongue repeat it, mighty throng shall bless his name. Lift him up, the risen Saviour, high amid the waiting cross. Lift him up to he that speaketh now he bids you flee from wrong. Oh, then lift him up in singing lift the Savior up in prayer he the glories us redeemer all the sins of men did he hear yes the young shall now be before him and the old their voices raise all the dead shall bear hosanna and the dove shall shout his praise lift him up the risen saviour Amid the waiting prong Lift him up Tis he that speaketh Now he bids you flee from
0: There may be some of you here That have never really heard or understood about Ellen White And are not quite sure about her If you go out in the book rack out there, there's some of these books like Steps to Christ. Small little book. Read it. See how it leads a person to Jesus and a relationship with him. If you want a better understanding of Jesus and who he was when he was here on this earth, I think there's a copy out there of The Desire of Ages that talks about the life of Jesus from his birth clear through to his resurrection. Beautiful book. Doesn't go contrary to the Bible. Take it and read it. Ask God, reveal to me, is this from you or is it not? And to share, share what you've learned with others. I think you'll be impressed. Shall we pray? Oh, gracious Father, I'm grateful you just don't leave us in the dark, but you give to us light, your light from heaven. And there's even going to be a time, even a little later on, when we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, we're going to have little children prophesying, old men having dreams, young men having visions, men and women both, and all to uplift and glorify and to prepare this incoming of Jesus. We shouldn't be afraid of prophecy. We should learn to understand it and to use it. Lord, be with this church as we draw closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.